Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Cast of Call, where we talk all things related to the Dark Tower series by Stephen King. I'm your co-host, Rachel, and joining me is the other half of my very own personal quartet, the one and only DJ. In lockdown here forever, never going out again. Actually, that's <laughs> true. You just got to find those driving adventures, you know, mm-hmm. like drive through the Redwoods, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, twist my arm. I guess I'll have to just go along 101 all the way down the coast. I oh. know. So the plan for this episode is we're going to kick off the show with an in-depth conversation about The Wizard and Glass Part 1 Riddles, Chapter 3, The Faraday Goot. The Faraday, <laughs> the Faraday Goose, and Chapter Four, Topeka. Oh, a little Midwest action Topeka. for you. <laughs> Topeka. Have you been to Topeka? Oh uh, yeah, I've been to Topeka, uh, but it's a um, it's a really awesome college town where um, great concerts go on on the waterfront all the time. It's a great little town. Topeka. Provided Captain Trips hasn't been through it. <laughs> <laughs> Murdered so- all the population. Jeez, I know this is. Let me tell you, we'll get into it, but this was a grim chapter to read mm-hmm. right now. Uh, I don't know how people who are rereading the stand right now are doing it because just this one chapter, and I was like, uh, I was getting the vapors. I know, right? You're like, Ooh, <laughs> I'm gonna go is wash this my hands. Happen around here? <laughs> I mean, I'm in California, total hot spot. It's a little too close for home. Oh. Yeah. So. On that cheery note, we're going to close out the show with some fun listener feedback and feedback from the Facebook group. We put a new question on the Facebook group and got some really fun answers. But before we get into all that, I have to make a correction. Uh-oh. <laughs> yeah, I said something wrong on the last episode. And one of our very kind, and I'm not being sarcastic, listeners on the Facebook corrected me in a very nice way, which I grateful for so i just want to make sure i'm not disseminating inaccurate information and i want to just quickly correct this so on the last show i said that stephen king had experienced life changes between the wastelands and wizard and glass and that's true but not to the extent that i said so i said that he had both gotten sober and he had been hit by the van the reason i thought that was because the i had read the introduction at the beginning and i hadn't double checked the dates it was a new introduction so it included all this information about him having been hit in the van by the van but that was actually not the case i i was confused so he did i believe get sober between the two books i spent some time researching dates he got sober in the late 80s Wastelands was released on August ni- on August of 91, but I believe it was written prior to that because Needful Things, which came out two w- months later, is cited as the first book he wrote after he got sober. So I believe in the interim between when he wrote The Wastelands and Wizard and Glass came out in 1997, he did indeed get sober. He was not actually hit by the van until 1999, though. Hmm. So... There you go. Sorry about that. Thank you again, Tim, for correcting me on, on the Facebook group. I mean, I'm sure I'm getting stuff wrong all the time, but like <laughs> that one was a little too egregious. I couldn't let it slide. <laughs> I, I mean, uh, when you said that, I was like, well, it, she probably knows better than I do. So I'm just going to see. There you go. You got to question me. You clearly don't know what the hell I'm talking about. So. Moving on, moving forward, thank you again for the correction. DJ, before we get any further into this, can you tell our listeners what our spoiler policy is? We, guys, will slap the ice cream out of your hands and onto the ground to let you know that it is time to stop listening if we're going to go anywhere past the chapters we said (laughs) we're going to cover. It is hot right now, and I'm thinking of ice cream, as you can probably tell, so that's where that particular metaphor came from. But we will let you know before we cross the line. So there you have been warned, and you will be warned if we cross the line. 
Okay. Answer without thinking. Favorite favorite flavor of ice cream. Go. Uh, I, I don't know. Um, biscuits. Never even heard of it. That yeah, there's, sounds there's a biscuits and peach ice cream. You know the like the circle gelatos. Yeah. Wow. There's a flavor that no one likes for some reason called biscuit peach. I mean, the name is off-putting. Yeah, it, and you would think like this is garbage, but they had them on sale for like a dollar a bucket at uh, the used grocery store, and I bought six of them, and I've never been able to find them again, and they are delicious. Oh no! And like, why they're called biscuit and peach? I do not know. Uh, there was no biscuit inside of my <laughs> peach ice cream, but it was crunchy Were there and tasty. Were there cookies? Maybe it's like biscuit in the British form. Oh yeah, I guess it could have been, but yeah, super. Immediately, super good. I thought like bisquick and. I I was like, yeah. <laughs> no, awesome. I, what about you? Uh, birthday cake remix without the sprinkles from Cold Stone. That's my favorite. All right. Awesome. Now that we've gotten the most important question answered. We've, we've stalled so much. <laughs> now it's time to get to the meat and potatoes. Yes. We don't have any iTunes reviews this episode, but if you do uh, enjoy the show, leave us a review on iTunes and we will read it at this point. All right. DJ, where did we leave off? So the gang were just hanging out underneath of the scary shower towers of eyes floating in the sky as Blaine recharges his batteries from this like electrical arc type of thing, assuming that there's a generator behind that waterfall. And, uh, you know, Eddie's sort of still zoning out a little bit, kind of like halfway paying attention to the conversation. Uh, Roland and Jake are battling up with uh, riddles with Blaine. And they begin their final descent towards Topeka. Uh, we, we learn that time doesn't work quite the same way, and they have a shorter trip than expected. And they are headed towards their possible doom as Roland continues to run out of riddles. And then Jake uses up his entire book of riddles. And Eddie, in the meantime, is having this sort of internal think about of the time that jake was trying to light a fire and roland told him a riddle and this is also flashing between his and this is uh i'll try to explain this properly but i'm gonna fail uh eddie first is thinking on the the thread of the goose and roland's goose and then that gets him on the thread of a turkey and the turkey comes to the thread of a joke that uh, um, he had with his brother where it's like, what do you call someone who just did drugs like a baked turkey? <laughs> and uh, and then that gets him to the thread of thinking about Jake and Roland. And then that gets him to the thread of thinking about the time – the only time he can really remember that Roland was seriously cross with him. And it was the time that instead of telling – a real riddle he told the joke about a dead baby being stapled to a chicken and that's a really long thread to pull and <laughs> before i go any further did i mess any of that up rachel because like i'm trying to no touch. i think that's i mean it's kind of have you ever had to do that thing where you're trying to remember something but you know if you think too hard it's gonna slip away and so you just kind of like tease at it and tease at it no <laughs> oh really okay the minute i think too hard it's like a dream it just it's gone yeah, so uh, Stephen King's trying to do that basically in a written format, and this whole yeah. time you're getting this in internal monologue with Eddie sort of interacting with his brother, like the harshness of his brother and the sarcasm, the one time that his brother pays him a compliment, 
in this like sort of moment where the street gang is hanging out behind the old gas station or whatever and they're smoking cigarettes that you know uh one of the dudes had stole out of his mom's armoire or dresser or something and, and like they're asking like who would you want in a fight and it gets to eddie's brother and he's like actually i, I want eddie and they're all like come on come on you're full of crap why, why would you pick him and there's a moment where he stops and thinks and he's like well because when Eddie's in the zone, he could talk the what was it? Talk the devil into setting himself on set, fire. Setting himself on fire, and you're like, oh damn! And then Eddie, this kind of reverberates in his head is like the one nice thing that ever happened between him and his brother, and it's such a weird, a weird thing. But he his his brother basically was sarcastic and mean to him the whole time, and like always blamed him for everything. Yeah. But you have this one moment where like. The brother sort of lets on that he knows that Eddie's worth something, and this is how he shows it in this, like, one weird, respectful moment, <laughs> hanging out with the gang of, like, pseudo-thugs, uh, telling, like, really odd stories about guys beating up teachers that aren't actually true, and everybody just sort of, like, nodding their head thoughtfully and, and, mm-hmm. and believing it. I guess that moment right there, let's, let's stop for a second. Yeah. Because that's, that's pretty important. And that relationship between Eddie and his brother is reflected throughout this section, but that is also reflected onto Roland. Yes. Because when he describes that moment, he also sort of analogs to that one, the one time Roland was mean to him. And uh, Eddie sort of thinks to himself about how that situation, like he's able to recognize when someone is upset and feel it because – he dealt with it for so long with his brother mm-hmm. and was able to pick that vibe up from Roland in that one moment. And it's so, I don't know. What do you, what do you take from that, Rachel, since you're the emotional person? I mean, there's a, I think it's, there's a lot here. Plot reasons why Eddie kind of comes to this place where he recognizes that the connective tissue between these two memories is about the pain, the similar pain that he felt from Henry, not specifically the positive one, but the negative one and the pain that he felt when he was humiliated in this other memory with Roland. What you're saying is cool. And I agree, but I also, I sort of thought of it as like, you know how they do roasts? Yeah. Like I almost thought of like, cause when you see someone do a really good roast of someone else, like it cuts to the core. Yeah. Like that person is burned. And like, oh, I yeah. almost sort of thought of Eddie as like, that kind of clever if that makes sense he is that he is definitely that kind of clever roland underestimates the intelligence that is required for humor Mm -hmm. and that's his blind spot which we'll get into but because of the way that eddie expresses his intelligence he gets treated like he's an idiot even henry at his core was afraid of eddie because he could see what was below Mm mm-hmm in some ways, he actually could see Eddie much more clearly that, than Roland can, which is which is interesting considering that Henry is pretty much a moron and Roland we think of as being someone who's pretty insightful. But it just shows the true blindness that, that Roland has the same. And it's important in the section because it's what ultimately – it's some, his similarity to Blaine is what ultimately saves them all. Mm-hmm. It forces Roland ultimately, again, we're getting ahead of ourselves to evolve his opinion perception of Eddie and ultimately of himself in this section. Big character shit happens in this episode, this section. Yeah. Very wa- big stuff. I want to draw a line right there that that's all internal to Eddie over this, 
this yeah. smaller portion. Mm-hmm. But we'll, we'll stop at that and leave, you know, what he figures out from all of this internally yeah. uh, to when we get to it. So cutting back from Eddie's mind thinking while everything else is going on, uh, Jake basically, like, grabs his book and starts going through every riddle that's in there. And he runs out of riddles. He finally tries to throw in this, like, one last riddle that is um, – it was the Bible riddle about uh, um, Samson, uh, Samson yeah. and the bees and the, the skull. And, like, basically Blaine just, like, tosses him aside. You, you know, mm-hmm. that that one is the one he was saving for the, the hardest one. And it, it didn't do anything. And there's this insightful moment when uh, Jake's finished the book that he, like, kind of thinks back to the the tower store where he got the book and, like, reads the inscription at the end. It's like, I hope you enjoyed these riddles, blah, 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 you know. And, like, and like is like, ah, well, thanks a lot. Thanks for nothing, you know, basically. And and then Oi, like, as Jake's sort of resigning to the end, Oi is uh, uh, cutely, like, reaches up and grabs the book from him and gently sets it down and, and and Jake just like is like okay, I'm done. sits down. And Roland's uh, action is pretty much the same. Like, uh, and I, I'm getting these out of order, but it doesn't really matter. They both basically just tell a bunch of, of riddles to to Blaine. But but Roland rolls in and like basically gives him as many of these these remembered riddles as he can think of, mm-hmm. and even tries to stump him with this one last one that he he got from from court. Uh, you know, maybe I, I won his turkey or something like that, or uh, excuse me, goose, not turkey. Now I'm mixing it up. <laughs> um, and, and so he gives him that one, and then Blaine, like, almost in this like teacher slash shaming sort of way, is like, actually, Court didn't really come up with that one. That one's you know native to this place, <laughs> and like, and then Roy, right. I think we like, get our first mention of the Manny too here, which is yeah, like, exactly. Note and then, that for later. Yeah, and so so then Roland basically or Roland basically like sort of daydreams for a second and is like, well, you know, it makes sense that Court would have like uh, wandered off to other worlds or spoke with folks from other worlds, and and then they mention the the Manny and like Blaine or Blaine's like, ah, I have no use for those people, you know, whatever. And you're like, oh yeah, and then he, I had to go back and like look him up because I haven't <laughs> thought about him since the very first book. Yeah, but yeah, and so so basically uh, during the time Eddie's having this like fever dream. Uh, Blaine like knocks down both of these folks. They find out that they actually have a much shorter time to Topeka than they thought because the time works differently. And Blaine is like sort of getting a little bit irritated with them that they're not providing better riddles. And when these two finally give up, Eddie sort of snaps out of it. And the key thing that we we got to tail back to is is Jake's poem. And and not just that he says in Jake's poem, um, Blaine is a pain, but he also kind of quotes oh, – what's the uh, name of the author that did the train book originally? Beryl Evans. Beryl Evans. In in that particular book, it says, uh, don't ask me stupid questions. Mm-hmm. And, and like that connects to everything. So I we, do – really quickly, let me just say one thing. I love how we run through all of the – things we may be you know hidden ace card right because there's been all these little breadcrumbs breadcrumbs right and Mm -hmm. we know that the books must be significant because Ka has put them in our way so it's got to be a riddle in this book or it's got to be you know something that that Roland knows or it's got to be this poem that that Aaron Deepno told him like you we and we just Blaine just like swats all Mm -hmm. of these ace cards away and so you're like well I'm in my notes at this point I was like what was the point of these books at all (laughs) <laughs> and, but what happens is, is like it's all in plain sight. We're looking in the wrong place. 
It's not the in the book. That's why there's no answer. They don't matter. The answer is in the title of the book. It's riddledy dumb. You know what I mean? <laughs> and then we're looking at, you know, Blaine is a plane. Blaine is a pain. We know he's a, that we think that's telling us he's a scary train, yada, yada, yada. But no, the answer was always in that book. It was always staring us right in the face, but you just mm-hmm. don't see it. And I thought, I, I mean, there's some things about the defeat of Blaine that are a little like, yeah, but the breadcrumbs the use of all of that is so good that i kind of i'm okay with how it goes but okay go ahead go ahead keep going no no no, that's fine uh uh, so uh basically eddie uh as he's like daydreaming he finally like hits on the note that don't ask him stupid questions and and that brings him back to the fever dream that i discussed earlier of Mm -hmm. roland and jake at the uh at the fire pit and you know jake trying to start the fire and the riddles are what helped distract him so he wasn't so nervous about doing so and then the comparison in eddie's mind of blaine and roland as both not appreciating uh, a sense of humor in riddles and really if you think about it uh, the only difference between a riddle and a, a joke a question a question joke is is that one of them like takes really seriously the subject matter and the other one sort of like whimsically covers the same subject and matter. And it has a little twisty twist to it. Yeah, yeah. It, or yeah. like play on words or a mm-hmm. like reference to a reference to a reference or, you know, another joke inside of a joke and, and so on. And, and so when Eddie realizes that, he starts to think back to all of their interactions with Blaine and he realizes that the one time – Blaine hesitated was the dumpster question mm-hmm. and the uh the riddle was like what has four wheels and flies and it was uh you know it was the town garbage truck or, or whatever garbage wagon yeah garbage yeah. wagon and, and so that there when he realizes that he's like well why well this is a computer with tons of logic so it really likes logical puzzles but it doesn't like irrational or uh, playful puzzles because those aren't something that fits into like the stream of consciousness that works as Blaine. Mm-hmm. He has to kind of jump out of his lane and into a different lane in order to, to solve this. Well, what we also know is that Blaine is running on batteries. Yeah. And so when and disconnected from his mega brain back home. Yeah, exactly. Now he's on like a relay that's sending information back and forth slower and slower as they get further mm-hmm. and further away. So when when Eddie realizes all of this. Like Jake sits defeated, Roland sits defeated, and and uh, you know Blaine's kind of taunting him. Like, what about you? Oh, you got some, you got some riddles for me. What what about you, Susanna? Uh, yeah, you know. he is at peak confidence here. He now that he's beaten Roland and Jake in the book, he and having a good easy time doing mm-hmm. it. He's so arrogant, so greedy that the timing is actually perfect for him to get knocked down because of just all his digital hubris. Yep, he's been strutting around like a peacock for too long, and now Mm -hmm. it's time to put your foot out and trip him. Yep, (laughs) exactly, exactly. Eddie realizes this, and he's like, okay. And he's like, I got some more for you. You know, since we're going to die anyway, I might as well throw him at you, Blaine. And uh, first he starts by basically repeating that garbage truck joke and then explaining, like, that's the only time I ever, you know, really, you almost lost right there. I heard you uh, make a pause for a second. And then... 
and he just starts to throw mm-hmm. joke after joke after joke at him uh, and, until each time Blaine gets a little more furious. There's clicking noises and the train starts to waver a little bit. Lights start to flicker. The cabin's having trouble maintaining its transparency. And, and each time he does this, he gets a little more frantic and then – we finally get a couple where like baby Blaine's like, stop it. You're killing him, you know? Yeah. And Roland f- finally realizes what Eddie's up to. And yeah. the rest of the group kind of like turns around towards it and is like, oh, we see now you, you figured it out. Yeah. And, and so Eddie basically is like um, throwing these joke riddles at him. And Blaine is trying to stall or refuse to answer or it, when he does answer, explain the answer as long as he can to try and buy more time. And Roland steps in and is like, no, you need to answer these. The Letter of was- the law. Yeah, yep, exactly. And like at one point, Blaine even gets so upset. He, he's like, I, you know, I don't want any more of these. You can't do this, you know, and and, you know, Eddie, it is fun sort of anyway. It's like. What are you gonna do? Kill me? <laughs> you know, right. like not like that's gonna happen He's anyway. You know, dodging lightning at this point, full Avatar style, <laughs> <laughs> cartoon, not movie. Okay, and and, and so they're like they kind of reach this crescendo. And uh, before I move on, is there any? Uh, you've got stars all over. Oh the place here, yeah, so. I got cra- all kinds of stars. Let me back it up a little bit. First of all, let me just say I love this compare. One of the things we're going to get into into this section, there is this repeating, ironically, motif of history repeating itself or echoing itself or mirroring itself or whatever phrase you want to use. We assumed that Roland was going to be the one who was able to stump Blaine because he's the one that has a lifetime of collecting riddles. But it turns out that it's actually Eddie who has a lifetime of collecting jokes. And so like Roland, he has hundreds of these and he could go all day. It's just that it was the particular brand that was Blaine's weakness. So it's kind of one of those things where we start off the chapter knowing that Roland calls him a fool and seeing exactly how alike they actually are. And in this case, Roland's blind spot actually makes him the fool. So that's kind of interesting. There's also a very sweet character moment that we went by really fast between Roland, Susanna, and Jake. That when Roland fails the riddling, he and Susanna sit together and hold each other. And mm-hmm. She's rubbing his hand for comfort. And then when Jake fails, he comes over and joins them. And Roland just naturally wraps his arm around them. And it just... And this is, again, something that we're going to see a lot in this section is that we see how much the relationships between these characters have evolved. They have gone from being just like travel companions or cohorts who are like trying to reach the tower to really becoming a family unit. And it was in the last book, it felt like you could see that evolution happening between obviously Eddie and Susanna are are a couple. They're married. Right. But Mm -hmm. then the introduction of Jake. They were forming a little family, and then Roland was sort of like a satellite who was connected loosely to everybody, but kind of an outsider to the point where, like, even he he couldn't, like, read their minds or, like, didn't have that same cast. But in this, you see that he is now being absorbed into this family and to the point where where they're not just looking out for each other, but they're turning to each other for comfort and affection. Mm -hmm. Affection. And and what I think is so interesting is it happens so naturally. You know, it just feels like they just do it without a lot of thought, whether there's questioning looks between them. They just fall into this dynamic. 
I just think it's amazing, particularly when you think about where the relationship started. I mean, everybody wanted to kill everybody. Everybody let everybody die. You know, it was bad. And even as recently as before they reached Lud, where their relationship stood. And now what I think this is telling us is that moment at the cradle where they were reunited and you really felt that love between them was not a fluke. It was not just adrenaline after having survived something crazy. This is the new, this is the new place that their relationship has reached. And we talk about later when we get into it that they they have they basically King is turning the page in terms of where we are in the story. We're now entering end world. The same, I think, is true of this relationship. Like we have something, there was a shift that happened in the cradle. They are in a different place now. They have gone, they have become family. And you see it in these little interactions. Now, do you think a lot of that is a single enemy uh, no, sort of I thing? I think so, because it's not just like they're banding together. They're holding each other and being affectionate with each other. So it's, I, I agree with you that they like kind of get, um, they, they get more family-esque. But to me, it sort of felt like in their defeat against a singular enemy like they grew like it solidified them as a whole group oh yeah that's probably true i think it was also truly each of them truly fearing that they had lost one another yep and that 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 was the end for all of them Mm -hmm. and like that especially with roland like where when you see roland give up like that's there's no hope and then Mm -hmm. you well you got the book you got the book you know and then the book is no hope like it's almost the uh uh, orchestra at the end of the titanic you know (laughs) yeah i mean i also think it's true in lud when eddie sees roland and he admits to himself that he never thought he was gonna see him again Mm -hmm. and when we know jake thought that once gasher had taken him into the maze that he would never see roland again they were faced with a very real reality that potentially they would never see each other again and i think it's like you know you don't know what it's got till it's gone (laughs) you know what i mean i think that happened for them in lud in that final chapter and then what we're seeing in this section is the aftermath of that they had their bonds tested and have a deeper appreciation for i mean it doesn't mean they're not gonna have problems families fight families have problems the stuff between Roland and Eddie, I would be shocked if it's just gone after that. But I, they've made progress. I'm kind of glad to see because in my memory, this is the dynamic that this group has. And then so when we were reading it, it was so We cold. weren't seeing that dynamic yes. early on, yeah. They're evolving. They're having growth. And for Roland, that growth is about tapping into his emotions again. And these people have somehow gotten underneath that that outer shell and to the point where he is freely giving affection i mean like we we saw him get busy when he was in toll but there was never affection (laughs) in that this is the first time we've seen like a loving vibe from roland so that was really a great moment the other thing is is i love the realization that eddie comes to around the phrase that he uh, from the credo that he shoots with his mind oh yeah yeah and there's actually that really good spot where he's like you know kind of discussing riddles and as a whole and mm-hmm. like deciding what good really means like yes to uh to roland and to blaine a good riddle is one that has like this type of structure and this type of puzzle and has all of the elements that you need but is is like strict and sort of regimented right and it's like well really that isn't actually the case you know he, you know what a what is a jar a door not a door when it's a jar <laughs> Yes. I mean, it's his ability to think around corners Corners, that allows him to even recognize that good is a subjective word. Who's to be the arbiter of what counts as good? I think from a larger perspective, we we learned 
about the complexity of the meaning of gunslinger in River Crossing with how Rowan interacted with the folks there. We had this idea that gunslingers were just lawmen, but that gets complicated. And proper and like sort of structured. Yes. And when we got there, we found out that there's a very spiritual aspect to being a gunslinger and there's a diplomatic aspect to being a gunslinger. And to some degree, what's happening right now with Eddie is that he is recognizing the nuance in the credo itself as well he's understanding that there is multiple meanings to i shoot with my mind like yes there's the more straightforward interpretation that's like you envision it you manifest it that's why they're so amazing with their their gunslinging but there's also (laughs) another idea of that your mind is the weapon some respects it's the most powerful weapon in a gunslinger's arsenal is their mind this this moment that he's having where he kind of reinterprets it shows exactly how much depth and meaning there is to these words there is so many ways to look at them and they are so they are are a tool for the gunslinger himself so i thought that was really interesting so while we're on that same point, um, did you catch that little bit um, when J- uh, Jake and Blaine are interacting and and uh, uh, Blaine basically says he's going to crash into the you know the pillars and Jake for a moment closes his eyes and actually describes the color shape and what the pillars look like. Yes, and I thought that was like that goes along with your mind thing. It's like well, wait a minute. <laughs> Uh, mm-hmm. You know, like Jake's uh, Jake's powers uh, for the shine are getting stronger if he can, you know, uh, visualize the end of the tracks and where the train will crash. You yes, know? definitely. But you know what else is interesting about those those things? I agree with you. Uh, the thing that stood out to me, though, let me just add this little wrinkle, even though I know we're ahead of ourselves, oh, yeah, is no they're, they're yellow and black, right? Mm-hmm. Do you remember the last time we saw something that was yellow and black? Uh, it was the box no. in the Shardix clearing. Oh, okay, okay. So there's also this call back to the interconnected world of how. So do you think that's works? like a uh, um it, the like North Central Positronics? I don't color know. scheme or something. I don't know exactly. This is one of those things where I feel like there's some loose threads in this section that I was like, I'm going to need DJ to walk me through this Um, because there's also this part we skipped over where Eddie's talking about how some of the, the technology still exists and the true horror of the fact is that it, it's still like limping along, but that, you know, that essentially that because it's now so corrupted that it's become almost evil. He actually calls back to the memory of the halls of the dead and um, having that memory of being in the clearing of Shardik. And then we are the echo of that. Again, this repeating motif that is going to happen over and over and over again, especially in the next few sections, is that we have this visual cue that is the same as the visual cue in the in Shardik's clearing. Hmm. So I yeah. don't, but what does that mean? I don't know, except for, I mean, I think obviously it is an echo. It's, it's showing us how history repeats itself, but but from like a world building perspective, I'm not sure that it's exactly significant. I think it's more thematic, but I don't know. I'm open to if somebody can point well, out Well, so what you're saying, um, and th- we're going to, I'm going to jump around chapters, I guess. Do since it, it, do it. Okay, so uh, in the next chapter, Topeka, and I, I'll, we'll go through that whole clearly, but yeah. um, basically there's a moment in that section where Jake asks for change from Susanna mm-hmm. and Eddie, and mm-hmm. you know Roland doesn't really know what he's talking about and doesn't recognize the newspaper per se, but there there's basically like a newspaper dispenser and he needs some quarters for it. And Eddie, off the cuff, is like, 
well, you know, I seem to have lost all my quarters climbing up a tree to escape a bear. And, and like, what you're saying, that is, like, a very heavy-handed callback that's like, yeah, just just in case you forgot, this happened. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I mean, they reference it multiple times. Because mm-hmm. there's also the part where he talks about joking about the, the geography in midworld he meant you gotta fight the robot bear like yeah i i feel like there stephen king is very intentionally calling back to past things and linking them to current things because that is the theme of this book right Mm -hmm. is that history repeats itself and we're gonna get into this prequel stuff and about the story about his last quartet and yada 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 which is a little scary if you think (laughs) if history repeats itself what does that mean for the future but we'll get there when we get there but yeah, so I, I, I don't, like I said, I don't know that it actually has like world building significance, but I definitely think that there's a reason that we are remembering so much about that box. That was the beginning of the journey, right? Like we started at the path of the beam at that box. And now here we are at the end of this, we got through the wastelands and now we dead into, into another thing that's black and yellow striped. I don't think that's a coincidence. Hmm. I think that's a very intentional visual cue motif, whatever you want to call it from Stephen King. Someone needs to write that down in the notes and save it for later. <laughs> right. <laughs> All right. So getting back. Well, oh, one ahead. other thing, Eddie's jokes. Wait, I just have to say, oof, that food <laughs> yeah, was bad. so bad. I was like, already, you know, hundreds, forget that one. <laughs> it was well, so cringy. I mean, especially because he checks Susanna later about calling gay people fruits. I'm like, yeah, I know, right? Eddie, we're going to have, we're going to have to have a little aside about that accent you did. <laughs> oh, man, oh, man. But whatever. Okay. Moving forward. Moving forward. Uh, so, so basically like Eddie gives these like sort of joke riddles to, Blaine Blaine starts to panic and go crazy. Roland pushes him on it, makes him stick to the rules. And eventually, like, he gets stuck on the last one, which is, like, it's funny because uh, uh, Eddie's, like, got a little internal dialogue where he mentions a joke that Jake had told that was, like, what weighs so many hundred pounds and lives at the bottom of the sea. It's, like, Moby Snot. And, like, Eddie's like, I could do better than that. Like, He's I like, got... no, that one's ridiculous. Yeah, that's just <laughs> Dead silly. baby I... joke. Here we go. <laughs> yeah, dead, dead baby joke. And his joke is, like, how did the dead baby cross the road? And it's, like, it was stapled to the chicken. Like, well, that's... I mean, yeah. It, it... Anyway, um, so that one finally trips Blaine up. And Blaine, like, starts to stutter. And then, like, sparks are coming out. Mm-hmm. And... And basically, Eddie goes into, like, full gunslinger mode. Like, he sees that uh, the train is starting to get crazy. He sees that uh, um, it's going to use its disintegration ray on him. And he, like, basically fires into the panel and, like, takes out all the electronics. And this whole time, every time Eddie would ask him one of these jokes, the train would start to wobble or feel like it was off off kilter. And by the time they get to this this point, like the train is is wobbling and weaving and, and really feeling unstable. And the clicks that are being heard in the cabin as Blaine tries to answer these questions get louder and louder. So basically Stephen King describes them as, as deafening, yeah. which, you know, that, that's not a good sign for any electronics. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And, and so when he finally – when Blaine finally uh, – gives out we find out that it's not a fear of dying blaine really had it was a fear of losing Mm -hmm. and losing this especially to someone that blaine initially considered to be below him in standard and stature so disdainful yes it's like the worst way to possibly go down 
And there's another little mention, and I wanted to bring this up because it's it's odd. But like Susanna sort of like pops in and is like, you know, little Blaine, you're not so bad, <laughs> but <laughs> the world could you uh, could be a better place without your big brother. And it's like that's sort of an echoey statement mm-hmm. that covers both Blaine, but you know also what? you're so right. There is Eddie, a and his Eddie brother, Henry right? situation. Yes, you're right. I didn't even make that comparison. You're so right. Okay, because that one like it sort of just struck me. I'm like, oh, she's not talking about Blaine per se. She's mm-hmm. sort of like speaking towards Eddie and his brother relationship. And, and so the reason I bring that up is because Okay, fine. The the train, uh, you know, basically stays on the rails, but starts to coast in, and they crash. But as they crash, each of them sort of have this like weird internal moment where they're thinking of stuff, uh-huh. and and Eddie sort of has this like moment with firecrackers when he was a kid, like blowing up trash cans or something like that. But then we get another moment, right? And and I'm jumping to this, and then I'll jump back to the other folks, mm-hmm. but. Uh, as Eddie, like, goes to exit the crash train that he survived the crash uh-huh. room, he, like, has this almost, like, ghost moment, you know, like uh, uh, the movie Ghost where he, like, she's, like, touching him or whatever. It's, like, almost they, like, meet eye to eye, and he's, like, y- you know, like, uh, you're actually, you're good. You- you're a good dude. You know, you you got a lot of skills, and, like, it's, like, this weird moment between his memory brother and him yeah yeah where it's like forgiveness almost rolls in and i the reason i strung all that together is because it sort of it almost like i mean i know it started with him like thinking about his brother Mm -hmm. and the compliment first but it sort of got reinforced by Susanna's statement about big blaine and then like just rolled into this like moment where he's sort of having like a um a, a come to come to god moment with his brother where like yeah everything's back to normal or not normal but you know they've like found their center of the relationship and he's no longer a ghost that'll haunt him anymore. So he has this evolution of a relationship with the mental version of Henry. You thought maybe he had banished this voice for good in the previous book when he carved the key and kind of was able to go of all the judgment that Mm -hmm. and shame that Henry gave him. But it turns out that, you know, he isn't actually gone. The voice is still there. It's still in him, but like Detta for Susanna, the voice has evolved. Eddie has mastered the voice and it's now the voice of Henry in that specific memory where he's like, you got this, bro. That voice represented Eddie's inner saboteur. And by being able to beat that and to be the version of himself that Henry at his best saw him as gave him that I think is a big part of how they were able, he was able to put, put aside. Yeah. He was able like the to c- congratulations from his brother is like basically the first time, like he's acknowledged him as, yes. as a successful person or as like somebody who isn't just a fuck up and causes problems or whatever. Yes. And, and because it's in his own head, that's him letting that shit go and embracing yeah. himself and seeing himself as who his brother secretly saw him as. Yeah, I agree. I, I think you're right. I think that's a. It, uh, it just shows thing. you how much Eddie has grown too. Like how it shows that he survived and he has grown so much. So yeah, it, and I mean, like this is right after this like awesome action scene where he's dodging yeah, laser beams and like yeah! shooting stuff out and like I shoot with my mind. You know, it's like oh, nailed it, man. <laughs> nailed it. Good job. And then r- rolling like uh, so after the 
the train crash is like Roland has this the come to God moment too, where it's like mm-hmm. he's like you know he basically apologizes. He says I cry your pardon, you know, and like Eddie at that moment says something that Roland didn't think about, and it's sort of when you were talking about Roland like being portrayed or uh, sort of shown as to be this like wise smart person mm-hmm. like it's interesting that when eddie basically says it's in your nature like it surprises roland and catches him off guard because yeah. like he has never actually considered his own nature and what that actually means right and he's basically saying like look man you don't need to cry my pardon because y- you are um you are what you are you are, and you no are. You can... yep exactly. yeah exactly and then like that sort of sits with roland is this profound moment where he's like i am what i am right what wait a minute i've never thought of it that way before <laughs> and you're like whoa whoa come on introspective guy like we're, who are that? you where are you coming yeah. from <laughs> exactly but also and- that he would hear eddie out and value his input says something about their relationship as well you know i think maybe he's gonna stop thinking of eddie as calm eye yeah yeah and i i think too the 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 point that roland makes that like or the the point that roland picked up from eddie earlier on is that like jokes help you see around corners and roland sort of confesses that you know he he never won the goose at the end of the contest he always just played through and did acceptable like you know you know that's a win in itself because you're never the disgraced person who who lost at the beginning Mm -hmm. but he never really had the um i don't know if it's wit wisdom or the skill i guess to really think that way and Mm -hmm. think outside of that and even in the riddle creation it was more that roland was a memorizer of these riddles as opposed to like an origin or a creator of these riddles Mm -hmm. and his skill set was more in the gun operation and shooting fast and moving fast and sort of action it's interesting that that the person who finally made him see something about himself he couldn't see was the person who's able to think in a different way and Mm -hmm. see around corners you know like it allows roland growth as well just to be around eddie and to hear red eddie out yeah, so here's a weird question for you, Rachel. Okay. Um, here's uh, a weird so, answer. Uh, we have gunslingers as a whole, right? But as these chapters start to progress, like I sort of started to think about gunslingers like a team in an RPG mm-hmm. where like some of the gunslingers become mages and some of them <laughs> yeah. become like warriors and and so on. Yeah. And, is that the feeling that you're kind of Absolutely. getting from this too? Okay. Absolutely. Like, well, originally I kind of thought of gunslingers and like, maybe this is just cause it's been a while since I've revisited these books is, is gunslingers are, you know, right. It's spelled out in the title, you know, they're like a police force diplomat mm-hmm. type of person that is there to enforce. Well, the like a or... lone ranger is yeah. what the vibe you got, especially in that first book, because but that it... is all we know of him. And that is where Roland is in his life. But in reality, well, we have all this Kaw stuff and yeah. this Kawtet and everything. Yeah. And, like, it, it turns out that that's actually more common than you would think and that gunslingers do band together as a group. And, like, yep. the group has different talents. And, mm-hmm. and in this group, you know, we have Jake sort of being psychic. We have uh, Susanna having, like, the the Detta Walker anger and rage in her. We have Eddie with his, like, sarcasm and jokiness mm-hmm. and being able to think in a different way. And we have Roland with his, like, brute force and a- attack speed. <laughs> For know? some like, reason, I'm, like, imagining that cartoon from the 80s, Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> 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 and, like, Jake is, like, the little barbarian character with the goat. <laughs> oh, he's the goat! 
that's funny. Yeah, and I, you know, I don't know where Oi fits into this equation, just because like he's not he's not really a gunslinger. He's just part of the quartet. He's if a little that, baby gunslinger. I mean, yeah, I guess he like. I mean, he think had his about own it. Battle. Yeah, think about his battle. He got stabbed and survived and took poor people's eyeballs out. He's a badass <laughs> mofo. So basically the train crashes turns out like Jake was right. He called it from the get go. The pillars that the train crashes into are the color and shape that he described. Uh-huh. Um, the tr- train sort of like sp- splits open. The whole team gets jostled around and they have the moment when they're climbing out. And then as- and Eddie refers to them as his friends. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's right. Good, and good then catch. a couple minutes later, Roland refers to them as his friends. Mm. <laughs> They're best friends. <laughs> so the gang climbs out and like Roland sort of goes uh um a week at the knees. And and yeah. well, I I'm probably jumping a little bit ahead. No, okay. So the first thing they they all climb out and um this is fun for the Midwest, but probably not fun for a lot of other folks. Like, they see a shield that says 75. Oh, you recognize – I mean, I recognized – you know, I recognized what they were talking about, that it was – and I, there's a picture in the book. But um, but do you actually recognize the specific freeway? Yeah, yeah. Um, oh, that's fun. Highway 75 is basically, like, the border of Nebraska. Okay. And then the shield, of course, like – in the Midwest, every road is straight, and every entrance and exit has one of the identifier shields on it. So just seeing that was like, ooh, look at that. Uh, and so just seeing that, I was like, oh, whoa. They're in the real Topeka, like our world Topeka. Mm-hmm. And that's sort of a strange bit to get hit with right there. It's like, yeah. Like, what? Wait, 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 huh? And then... And before so, you can even like absorb that, that's when things real get really get weird. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then so then they're like looking around and like it doesn't look like the cradle at all. This doesn't look like what they've normally seen from uh, you know, uh Roland's world. And then Roland like kinda he he has his feigning spell. He sorta like daydreams about the past and like I- I'm gonna let you do this part because he like basically like feverishly covers um his girl in, in the tower like he has he talks like about, a he has like a what would you even call it like a episode yeah like almost a seizure or something yeah. like mm-hmm. he sort of like drops out and like it mentions a a couple of of bad people that weren't as bad as uh you know the man in black um it mentions like all of his old quartet and like there's a brief mention of a battle and the old gang like being shocked by it um we get uh, a sort of like first mention of the thinnies which is like basically a um a, a thin points between universes where like you can jump from one place to the other which i believe that's basically what has happened here mm-hmm. uh, you have um you have the uh, well see i said the reference to the war you have the girl um susanna or Susan, uh-huh. and then like he's almost muttering while he's doing this, and so then Susanna picks up on that girl's name, and then like Roland like comes to, and it's basically like we have crossed the first section, and we are now on to the second section of our journey. And mm. you're like, what? Like that's a. That's I mean, a- end world sounds like end game. Yeah, exactly. But it's like it's just a strange little bit, and Stephen King gives you so many little Easter eggs there, but it's just they're not 
they don't really like jam together um he he mentions like the big coffin hunters he like mm-hmm. uh, mentions like several of the folks that are in like uh, the old country you know it's just it's a really weird bunch of stuff and i was having trouble pulling on that thread it's basically like stephen king belches out a bunch of of important references, but then doesn't pay off on anything at all. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, okay, make sure you you write this down, guys. Like, yeah. let's move on. I mean, we definitely get like a, a word salad really a info. It's clear that he is lost in the past for a second here and that it is very traumatic. And I think what is happening here is that, and I don't know that I had made this connection before. Maybe I had, I don't know. But I think it's very clear that what's happening here is that Roland has PTSD. Um, oh okay okay yes so like at first i was like what is this melodrama that i'm experiencing with this like mouth twitching i'm like where's my badass rolling and then i realized oh he's having an episode so what happens with ptsd sometimes is that and this is something that that your brain does with trauma it's like an evolutionary thing where you lose temporal like your brain does not know the difference between where you are right now and where you were at the time of trauma you cannot tell the difference and that's it's created so that you recognize threats and you have the same physiological response and so he is there as much in the present as he is in the past he cannot tell the difference between the two during Mm -hmm. this episode and that's why he's just spouting these words because he's completely overwhelmed by the trauma his traumas of the past Okay, and okay. so it's very strange to read until you realize what's happening is his fight or flight is activated. And then I started thinking about Roland's character as a whole. And through the perspective of post-traumatic stress disorder, he makes so much more sense. Like, he clearly suffers from depression. He holds people that, you know, who try to be close to him at a distance. He's constantly hypervigilant at all times. We chalk that up as being a gunslinger, but it is also a symptom of post-traumatic stress and going through the training that he went through as a child and how he graduated, he absolutely has experienced extreme trauma in his life. And it also manifested itself in the way that he feels very disconnected from the world around him and he lashes out at the people around him and he feels left behind by a world that moved on. Those are all things that are world building and, you know, a part of the Dark Tower universe but it's also how people with PTSD can feel about the world in general. And so I don't know if King is doing this on purpose or if he has just crafted the example of someone who's living with PTSD, but that is what is manifesting in, in his character and has been manifesting in his character through the books. Hmm. So uh, I, I guess since I don't, I, I'm not a PTSD expert. It's well, sort I started of t- researching it as when I, once oh, it okay, clicked, okay. I started looking into it and I was like, Oh my god, that's a hundred percent what's happening here. See, I totally thought it was the um, it was the effect of the thinnies. So, well, like, the thinny is the trigger. Yeah, I think you're right. I think I am incorrect. But uh, my original assumption was that the same way that Roland was sort of broken when Jake reexisted and he had two sets of memories was the same mm. way that the thinny was affecting him now. It like. As he gets close to and or touches the like the threshold of these thinnies, his brain is being put into two different universes simultaneously. Hmm. And so to me, I thought it was almost like um, Roland like being in the current universe 
but a part of Roland also occupying the other side of the thinny where he's looking at the thinnies the first time he saw them. The the time frame in which this book came out, there was um, Kurt Vonnegut, one mm-hmm. of his books, like the the first sentence is like, he became unstuck in time. Ooh. Ooh, and that's like, a great opening line. Yeah, yeah, and Slaughterhouse-Five. Okay, yep. But basically, the premise is that, like, he is being pushed back and forth through his entire lifetime and out of order and in no particular context. So, like, one moment he's with his wife of 20 years or whatever, and the next moment he's at her funeral, and the next moment he's, like, in this time where he was captured by aliens shaped like plumber's utensils and <laughs> So in Slaughterhouse-Five, like, the way time travel works is that Kurt Vonnegut allows the character to basically, like, freewheel through his entire um, life. And when Roland touches these thinnies, my thought, simply because that was a mm-hmm. – that was, like, sort of a sci-fi experiment in – you know, that was a fairly popular book. Stephen King maybe ingested some of that. And so the thought for me was that, like, touching the thinny was sort of, like – unsticking Roland in time Mm. and like floating him back to all of these points where there was also a thinny involved. Mm, And so it's sort of like, um, sort of like one of those, uh, when you have a reflection of a mirror looking at a mirror and it's like like an endless tunnel. I almost thought of it like I, at first I thought of of uh, Slaughterhouse Five, but then I thought of um, ho- almost uh, um, Doctor Strange, you know, like mm. where like he fractionalizes into all these different continuums. Well, yeah. in this case, it's not continuums; it's just different portions of Roland's previous existence, but sort of like splattered at him as the thinny sort of connects all of these other um, broken worlds that uh, are getting too close together. And Roland kind of describes the thinny as like basically a spot where the you know the world is worn thin because everything has moved on, and that thinness allows things to escape or move from one world to another world. Well, mm-hmm. Roland himself, as we know, has moved from one world to another world. They've taken this train that has somehow managed to go from you know a dystopian future past to a uh, a time. In you know Eddie and and uh, Susanna's like somewhat timeline, mm-hmm. uh, and the train traveled in time, sort of, but in a strange way. And so these thinnies and the beam in general, like, is that just Roland basically reliving little split seconds of his his life next to those thinnies? Or not. And the PTSD sounds way better to me once you said it, because that's, like, an easier thing to wrap your head around. I mean, it's definitely, uh, like, a real-world thing, so, but... Yeah, and I went, like, way out on the limb and was like, oh, no, unstuck in time, of course. That makes sense. Way more sense. (laughs) So, the other thing we learned about Thinnies is that they're somehow linked to the Cataclysm. Uh, Oh, okay. Did you you catch that when he's talking about the wasteland and the leathery birds and all that stuff? Yeah, the description of, like, the stuff they they flew over and the, the thinnies, but I, I wasn't really sure I understood because, okay. like, he specifically mentions the black pipes coming out of the ground and the creatures and, like, the destruction. But is that in relation to, like, the n- nuclear war that we believe may be well, still continuing on? Well, that's what I'm wondering. So we know that there was some sort of nuclear aspect to it. But Mm -hmm. there's also reference to something else that's ongoing. And my interpretation at the time was just that the corruption continues to grow and reverberate, except for obviously where it's starting to, like with that, the deer we heard in the last one, like starting Mm -hmm. to heal itself. But 
with this new information about when he's like, you remember when we saw the black glass? Mm -hmm. I was wondering what you think that means. Was Athene weaponized? Was Athene created by what they did? And that's what created this secondary cataclysmic thing that is still ongoing? Well, I guess if you want to go like extra science-y, like a, a singularity would be, you know, both a time portal and a massive destructive force. So okay. like uh, in that regard, you know, maybe they like managed to somehow weaponize um, okay. dark matter and like created a momentary uh, black hole, which disrupts the fabric of space time. Right. Like the old Einstein uh, Rosen bridge uh, connection where it's like you can actually see the fabric of gravity and space being warped in on itself and folded over in order uh -huh. to like beat you know the problems of faster than light speed travel right. uh, so i mean that could be a thing but like i don't know that i trust stephen king's super expertise in sci-fi know-how to like dive that deep so i never really put that in i mean i i feel like a breadcrumb there and i i remember i said like there are things i can't close the loop on and this is one of them. I'm like, what does that mean, though? It's like such a tantalizing hint. What does it mean? Remember the thinny in reference to the wasteland? Does it mean it just like it opened up another reality that, that that's why that shit looks so alien was because it literally was from another I dimension? Mean, that would be interesting. Is there a Stephen King book link that like somehow hooks that dimension mm. to like a Stephen King um, Mouth of Madness style <laughs> Yeah. You know, uh, uh, I mean, like the mist. There's the mist. Yeah. Where there's like a situation where they're messing with dimensional portals and all that Lovecraftian shit comes out. So, well, yeah. That, when did the mist uh, get published? Is that so in 1980? So it would have been before the release of of the wastelands yeah the well, mist then there predicted. you go. So, like, gotcha. the scientists have gone too far, right? And uh, in order to ah. release the beings that would destroy their enemies, they have inherently destroyed the world and themselves. And there you go. That that actually wraps up pretty nicely. I think you're right. Okay. Yeah. See, this is why we do this together. I never would have made this connection. But you're right. Like, it is, it is essentially what happened in the mist. Yeah. And then, like, if they were messing with space-time in the mist, well, then, bam. Now you know that that was possibly a weaponization and like the leftover or the reverberations of these like thinnies that are similar portals that connect you to alternate you know universes or dimensions or whatever and like bam it all works out nice oh man that movie is so grim oh, yeah okay. it's 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 so it's so much better to watch in black and white if you if you I ever need to do that yeah, yeah. so if, if you ever go watch that movie um on the dvd and blu-ray there's a black and white option and if you watch it in black and white all of the bad CG in that film looks great. Okay. I will definitely, uh, I will keep that in mind. It's a great movie, but it is not one you watch for fun. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh man. All right. So, uh, so the gang catches Roland. Roland, like, basically explains about the thinnies and that they have moved on to the final stage. And, like, this almost feels like you're leveling up in a video game. Right. And, and they're looking around and, like, Topeka's kind of fairly modern and like uh, uh jake sees like a uh, well at first they're trying to get out of the train so the the train crashes they're at the pillars the it's like 
25, 30 feet down from the top of the train. And this is where, like, Roland gets to, like, kind of redeem himself after the discussion with Eddie. He, like, uh, ties up this thing out of um, out of Susanna's, like, sort of halter. Mm-hmm. And they all climb down. And, like, Eddie's like, well, it's a shame we're wasting that, you know, here. And Roland does an old rope trick. And um, I believe the term is, is slipknot, not to be <laughs> associated with the band. But, like... <laughs> You can create uh, certain types of knots that when tension is put on them, uh, they grip continuously. Um, And some of them refer to as clove clove hitches or half hitches or uh, um, slip knots. But when the pressure is released, the knot can basically be shaken apart. Mm. And so what Roland did is basically tie one of these knots to get everybody down and then shakes it. And and this is another moment between Eddie and uh, uh, Roland where like – Eddie's like basically like man you learned that from court yeah <laughs> and like th- this court reference like it's like oh man uh, you just got like pounded with like flashbacks of Roland yep. and then you know uh then Eddie's like you know referencing court and like glad he wasn't my instructor that guy you know seems yeah. like he was probably a, a hard ass mm-hmm. and, and like that I that was such a strange bit because you know it doesn't seem like Roland has really explained a lot about court to the gang in general. Did he tell them? He did tell them about how he became a gunslinger, though, right? With like, yeah, David. with the bird trial, and, yeah. Yep. Which I mean, that story alone will tell you a lot. About. <laughs> yeah, that's true. It's just it kind of it caught me a little off guard. Yeah, and then like to bring court up that, that I mean, way the right history after the... is like. They just they keep referencing the history even before we get out of the train. Roland's comparing Eddie to Cuthbert, and you know, like the, the, the every chance that King gets in this section, he's referring to the past. Even when Roland is listening to the Finney, you know, he 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 like reflects back on how they once listened for the lobsters on the beach, and they listened for the drums outside of Lud, and cause a wheel, and what goes around comes around. And it's it's all a part of this ongoing return to this theme of history repeating itself. Yeah, and there's there's a couple of uh, other things I wanted to really quick drop on uh-huh. is uh, um, one uh, Roland also mentions when he's describing the Thinnies that uh, um, I believe it's that since more of the beams have failed, the Thinnies have also become more more prevalent. Mm-hmm. And and then. If you take that information and go back to Blaine's reference to the many levels of the tower and and the um, the beams themselves, like is the tower a method for basically keeping in check the the thinnies and the decline of the world and the yeah. beams in general? Like, so I mean, that's the, the whole thing. If the if the tower fails. Then, then the, everything everything collapses. everything collapses. All the walls between realities collapse. Reality itself collapses. But then the reason I'm going back to that is because it's like, well, wait a minute. Does that negate our theory of the uh, mist and the pit? Because like the beam is still there. Basically, that's what they followed to go from the previous city to Topeka. Mm-hmm. So then shouldn't that beam that they're following now be basically keeping the thinnies at bay in that area? And like, I mean, I think they're weak. I think they're weakened. And I think as far as the mist thing, the implication has always been that the great old ones did something unnatural. 
Ah, uh, okay, okay. And so I think maybe they forced open a thinny, and maybe that's part of what started breaking down the Dark Tower to begin with. I don't okay. Know. I, I don't know. It's just I was trying to, like, put all of those yeah. pieces it's in the same pie, to, and it doesn't really confusing. seem like I've got it yet. Yeah. Um. So, you know, the, the they basically, Roland does this rope trick. They get get everybody down to the ground. Um. And Susanna sort of caught when he was fever dreaming that she, he said Susan, and... And she's like, "What are you gonna tell me? Tell me about that?" And like, she has clutched her stomach a couple mm-hmm. of times. And like, Roland's like, "What are you gonna tell me about that?" <laughs> I know. <laughs> it's like touche. Although I and, think it's uh, so interesting that her response is, "You and I are gonna talk about this privately." Yeah, yeah. We only need one hen and one rooster, or something like that. Was Which, I think the? I mean, again, shows you movement in that relationship that she he would be the person that she would turn to with such a private piece oh. of information before her husband. Well, and then there's a moment, momentary like info drop from Roland where he's like, you know, she was in the speaking ring, and like yeah. things have known to go sideways with those demons. It cha- actually that detail changed something for me. I thought it was one thing, but it's something else entirely now. Yeah. So I was like, oh, that's even more sad. <laughs> yep Uh, yeah so he brought that one up so i thought that was fairly important and then basically roland says he'll explain to everybody about his past at some point but now is not the time for it so they the the whole gang basically like drops out into this this new sort of like um empty train station roland like you said is mesmerized by like kind of having like a westerny feel Mm -hmm. the thing is though is like at first, they think, like, oh, this is in bad shape. But then Eddie sort of looks around and is like, no, nah, no, nah, it just hasn't been clean for a little while. This actually uh, looks like it's fairly new and has seen very little neglect. And there's a little confusion about that. And and so uh, Jake basically, like, sees a little um, a little uh, paper dispenser, like, basically your, your newsstand dispenser. For those of you who don't live in areas with metropolitan newspapers being distributed via boxes, you put a quarter in, push the button, and, like, you grab your paper and you read it. And he, so he, he asks the gang for some quarters. Like, they're not really sure uh, that they've got it. We've got that mention that we brought up earlier yeah. about Shardick. Mm-hmm. And then they grab the paper, and, like, Susanna notices the information on there and the date, and they sort of link two and two together, and, and she's sort of accusational at Eddie – because you know uh this would have been his time frame for yeah. the entire world basically falling apart due to captain trip mm. or what was the other name for the um uh tube throat disease? tube throat okay yeah, that one was one i didn't really remember yeah, i don't know that one i mean maybe Cap- it, maybe it's in the stand i don't remember but basically, like, w- what we find out is that, like, the gang has rolled into Topeka, Kansas in the time of the stand and that uh, um, this is not Susanna or Eddie's world, but a similar one that has basically faced a massive plague. And the crazy thing is, like, so we find out, too, that Roland's high speech and language doesn't match uh, the rest of the gang's language. And so Jake ends up having to sort of read the paper for him. We also find out that in the paper, um, kind of sort of scrawled at the end is like this just long list of like people who died and in memory of's and so on. But that they were dying so fast that basically like there wasn't any time to to uh, get rid of the bodies or to really grieve. And there's interviews from senators where they're like. 
make it uh, making uh, rather mm-hmm. um, poignant statements about Reagan. That was and, grim, man. Ugh. I know, and like when I when I went through that, I'm like, fuck, that's just that. I that's like an analog to our current world. It's like terrifying. You yeah. could just see that happening. Mm-hmm. And like the guy's like, well, you know, I. I'm feeling kind of sick, so it doesn't really matter to me. I'll be gone by next week anyway. And, like, even some of the other little uh, vignette interviews are are just these, like, um, basically, like, I'm not making any plans for the weekend. I know. It's so <laughs> oh, dark. so dark. And, and so, like, basically, like, in this, um, in this like, a horrible, like, sort of end uh, uh, of world, end of days uh, plague sort of a newspaper like this is the last printing and like the last printing is just this epic discussion of like the entire civilization dying around them and like uh senators and presidents hiding in their like brain trust Mm -hmm. bunkers and and then we get like a weird little side note where they see um the town of omaha listed on the one of the uh, uh destinations and like Roland sort of like does this other weird thing where he's yeah. like, I once knew a guy, a one-eyed man named Omaha who got <laughs> his throat cut out, you know, and like he his last breath was sprayed all over the walls oh and ceiling. God. It's like and like that's in juxtaposition with this like newspaper business. You're just like, fuck, this is dark. <laughs> you know? like, it totally dang. is. And yet I was enthralled. <laughs> I know. Like I went back through the little, little vignette stories a couple times. I'm like, this is just so poignant to today that it's like, man, I don't want to, <laughs> I don't want to have to think about both of these yeah. things, reality and this at the same yeah. time. So, Ooh, Ooh. Yeah. And so basically like we end up with all that information dump about, the grim state of the current world that they have yeah. landed in. Um, this and is then where I'm I want to like, touch double... nothing, touch nothing. Yeah, exactly. And I, I, I want to uh, swing back though for a moment and talk about the thinnies. There's one really important part there that I sort of mm-hmm. glazed past and I wanted to make sure and bring up and it's the saw man. Oh yeah. So, mm-hmm. so there's this weird bit, like when the Roland first hears the thinnies, like everybody, the whole gang is like kind of um, taken back by this weird, like sort of humming sound and and then um jake sort of thinks of like an older man who used to be in central park with like a cute little note that said um you know please give me some money for my my world's greatest saw playing skills and like susanna remembers the exact Mm -hmm. same guy only he was much younger when she saw him and you're like what whoa and then like this guy um the saw playing in general like jake has this sort of like intimate moment with his nanny where she's like no this is this is not right this is not correct and like has to run him off on it and it's it's interesting and weird and i i'm not sure what to take from it other than to to sort of strangely feel the tie between their views of their new york and almost to be like well then Susanna and Jake's New York are inherently the same, but maybe it's not Well, I think, not Eddie, Eddie's I think it is Eddie's as well, because there's a couple things here. One is, again, the cyclical kind of history repeats itself. But the other thing is, is it calls <laughs> back to that how Charlie and the Choo Choo passed between the three of them over the years. Oh, yeah, that's right. And it right. shows that they are connected and that though there are many worlds, they come from the same one. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, 
So, and that one just struck me as oh, important. Oh, yeah, no, so I'm I glad to you make circled sure and, back. And bring yeah, it up. yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, you know, uh, sometimes I fly through this stuff and it's like, well, I should probably talk about that one. <laughs> I thought that, that was important. I underlined it three times. Um, uh, so, yeah, so there's that. And then, like, uh, basically that Saw player that so disturbed Jake's nanny is the very same sort of sound they're hearing from the thinnies. And I don't know if any of you out there have ever seen someone play a saw blade, but it sort of has this like wobbly Mm -hmm. pitch to it. And it's based on the pressure of the saw and how wiggly you make it. And the, the, this is the sound that comes out of the saw blade. So it's just a real strange sound. And like, I could imagine being like a little bit um, off put by that, just emanating from the air. And the other thing I wanted to ask you, Rachel, is like, did they actually? Because the noise comes up. Roland says to watch out for the thinnies. Has his flashback, but then they walk away from the noise. Did they cross through? No, I think it sort of like comes and goes. Okay, okay. Because I, what I what I took away from that initially was that like it's an, I think the it's last unstable. leg of their travel was like actually through some. Well, thinnies. I they think. I mean, that's kind of the. They think probably they did pass through the thinny. And then that actually Blaine sort of knew that his route went through those on purpose. Unclear. I I mean, like they okay. said, they don't think that Blaine regularly passed through it, obviously, because they never heard about a bullet train from the future passing through yeah. Topeka. So I, I think he just either ripped through or slipped through a thinny at the end of the journey. And there's, okay, cause okay. there's a moment where they're like, did you feel kind of like weird at any point? Well, maybe we were just too busy concentrating. So it, the answer is inconclusive, but likely. Okay. And then, it, well, and then, so oh, go as ahead. far as the sound going up and down, I think it just illustrates that it's uh it's not a steady door it is a very unstable gateway so the reason i circled back to that one as well is because i i my same theory that whole or that i was holding up about roland and like the effect of the thinny was also like sort of in play with them getting like knocked out for a second Mm. and then like having sort of the same bit of flashback. I mean, that could very well have been when it happened. And and so it sort of felt like, you know, we got that same thing. I mean, there's a moment on the train where he's already like thinking about Cuthbert and like having memory lane while he's on the train before we've even gotten out. And like, he's actually had the trigger of the thinning. So maybe you're right. Maybe that is the moment they passed through that the effects Mm. were taking place without him realizing it. Okay. Well, that, that was just what I, I was like, does this support my theory? I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I I think your theory is totally is solid. Yeah. I just like the whole idea of being unstuck in time. I think. Yep. Okay. Oh, so then after that, like the gang's like, well, where do we go next? Like, well, we go to the tower. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's and simple. Like, and then, I mean, that's as easy as that. And like, bam, they're done. And that, that's the end of the chapter. So, I mean, there is a little I I tiny f- thing about like not being able to see the beam anymore. And so then I yeah, was like, well, true. and like, not not all the layer levels having access to the tower and so i'm like okay so it's like the beam the indication of whether or not you can get in or not unclear unclear um yeah really quick i want to talk about time speaking of being unstuck in time i try to figure out the timelines for this and it is very complicated because there are two versions of the stand and so in the two versions of the stand the captain trips thing happens on different years and none okay. of them actually correlate to the year that is in this newspaper. okay so the original version of the stand was released in 1978 and in that version the outbreak takes place in 1980 
the uncut version when Stephen King re-released it was 1990 which he updated all of the pop culture references all that kind of stuff so that it fit with its 1990 setting and then this book says it happened in 1986 which is in neither of the other two and is a year before Eddie came through the door from 1987. So I think uh, if you want to feel unstuck in time, you are very validated in that because it's clear that time, like distance, is very wacky in the multiverse. <laughs> so like some people take that as that the uncut and the on uh, the original version are actually to, the reason, like if there's any sort of discrepancies between the two stories, it's because they're actually taking place on two different levels of the tower. In mm. one version, it did take place. In another version, it took, it took place. Do you think that's like uh, intentional or just Stephen King screwed up? I mean, like the... I think Stephen King probably feels like he has license to move the date around wherever he wants because <laughs> because every the tower is breaking down. There are no rules. Fair enough. Makes sense. And then there's one more history repeating itself that I have to bring up, and that is <laughs> Susanna looking at the newspaper and seeing the hanging bodies and remembering the ones she saw in Lud's. Uh, in Lud, and again, I think we're going to see a lot of that, a lot of history repeating, and it's going to give us a lot of insight into Roland's past and who he was and who he became and who he's becoming, but also potentially what bodes in the future. So definitely something to keep an eye on. So overall, Rachel, uh, I think we've covered everything. Yep, like, what, what do you it. think? I loved the section, uh, less so the bling train stuff I, it was good i i like that eddie had some really great character moments but i felt the sense of mystery and eeriness that i love about this section in the topeka chapter in particular yeah yeah so uh and it's making me very excited for the road ahead but overall yeah these i thought these sections were great i really enjoyed them a lot how about you I um I again will stand firm on my previous statement that Blaine wasn't quite as exciting as I remember him oh, being. Oh, bless his heart. <laughs> yeah, you know, like I I remember this just being like action packed, and I was on the edge of my seat. And this this time around, like I was like, a, Blaine felt more like a petulant child being like a yeah. jerk to people. Um, but as soon as we got the newspaper, I was like. Yeah, real good. Real good. Don't tell nobody. <laughs> Just remember that TikTok man is still out there. He's down one mm -hmm. eye, but he's still creeping. Yeah, yeah, and and so that's just a a really interesting thing. And your one eye thing, that, I forgot that. I, I apologize. Um, that was what I circled around to mention the Omaha guy. Oh yeah, and then I completely spaced it when I was thinking about the disaster. You're but right, the one eye man. The one -eyed man. Mm -hmm. Yep. Another situation where we're getting a little callback here. Another one eyed man. Does that mean we're going to end up? With, uh, is the TikTok man going to get up getting his throat slit? We'll see. We'll, we'll see. find out. But yeah, overall, I was pr pretty happy. There's a lot of uh, little weird stuff going on here that took me a while to digest. Yeah. But I, I did like the dives, even though uh, the fever dream from Roland was like... It was weird. Not not useful in a manner that would tell you a story. It was still like a lot of good stuff and sparked a bunch of things that I remember from mm -hmm. future books. I was like, Oh no. And then I was like, Oh, whoa. no. And, and then I, you know, you have to really hold yourself back from mm -hmm. actually, you know, saying anything about mm -hmm. anything. Cause those are all hints, but the, they're breadcrumbs guys. They're not, they're not the story yet. Yep. Yep. 
Yep. We'll get there. We'll get there. <laughs> awesome. Okay. Well, good. I'm glad you had fun. I did too. I'm super excited to see where we go from, go from here. So far, the people who have been telling me this is the best book. I mean, it's not the best yet, but I see the potential. I'm having a very good time. So uh, for our next episode, for those of you who are reading along, which there are some people, I'm so sorry. I know we're slower than uh, probably you would like, but we're going to be covering all of chapter five, Turnpiken. Connections to Stephen King universe. I feel like we covered them. There was a stand, obviously. And then also, I think now we're going to say the mist as the well. Mist. <laughs> yeah. <I agree. laughs> Listener feedback and Facebook question. Okay. So we did get one email from our buddy middle-aged mike let me pull it up middle-aged mike which is a dope name and i identify buddy. so he wanted to chime in on a previous facebook question it turns out he does not have facebook which is probably for the best let's be honest mm-hmm. but so we are not going to penalize him for not for, for doing the right thing <laughs> as we all do the wrong thing and he wants to chime in on some casting for the TikTok man and Gasher. And he has a very interesting take. I, I would not have gone here, but now I'm kind of like, yeah, this is an amazing idea. Okay. So he says, so I didn't know about your casting call for Gasher and TikTok man, but after listening to the episode, I wanted to chime in late. TikTok man, Samuel L. Jackson. Whoa. Right? He's physically imposing, charming, hypnotic eyes, and can be very, very intimidating and scary when hmm. needed. Yeah. I, yeah, you know what? I love this casting idea. I think that's actually a, a pretty good one. Like, I, yeah, I didn't go to Samuel Jackson before, but, like, you know, everything back to, uh, uh, shoot, what was it with, um, where he's, like, wearing the black and white suit and mm-hmm. the Pulp Fiction, like, from Pulp Fiction on, like he's got a lot of like gritty roles where he could be a charismatic, but also completely rotten to the core leader. I- I'm in. Yeah, definitely. So I think that's really interesting casting. And then for his Gasher, he suggests 1990s Joe Pesci or Paul Giamatti. <laughs> <laughs> hey, fair, fair enough. Joe Joe Pesci doing. I can just picture you know Gasher like TikTok. You think I'm a clown? Do I make you laugh? <laughs> <laughs> So excellent choices, middle age Mike. <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much. Those were so, so great. Okay. So I asked the Facebook group. All right. So obviously our quartet went through the Finney potentially and ended up in the world of the stand. And so since we know that all the Stephen King books ultimately are part of this multiverse, what other Kingiverse location or book would you like to see Roland and his gang crash into if it wasn't the stand or in a future Finney, Finney ins- related incident? Um, so I asked the listeners, but first I want to get your take, DJ. Who, where would you like to see them end up? So uh, funny you ask. Uh, we talked about this right before the show started. Yes, and, we did. And like Rachel and I both basically <laughs> yeah. went to the exact same spot. We're like, yeah. dang it, the talisman. Got to do the talisman. It's got to like, be the talisman. It's just because like this is already a world where you're bouncing back and forth. And the talisman had such interesting otherworldly characters running around in it that you're just like yeah yeah do that (laughs) do the talisman please yeah and i want to i want to see jake and jack meet i feel like Mm -hmm. they would be buds but then i really what i really really want is to see eddie 
meet Wolf. <laughs> I feel like his take on Wolf would be amazing. That's funny. Right? Oh, yep. God, I love that book so much. Okay. So those were our choices. Surprisingly, I don't think anybody else suggested them. So maybe we were, I don't know, maybe we're basic. I don't know. But okay. So Jeremy <laughs> suggested Cell. Did you ever read Cell? I've never read Cell. Okay. That's his zombie book. Oh, okay. He said, because I think it would be cool to see the content having to deal with zombies. That would be fun. So it'd basically be like uh, that, um, the series that continues on with the guy and the zombies and the post you know, like The Walking everything. Dead or something? Yeah, The Walking Dead. It's like basically The Walking Dead. Then. Yes, but these zombies have a little bit of a wrinkle to them. They're like hive mind zombies. What? Yeah. Like Borg, Borg zombies? Mm, they're more like flocking bird zombies. Mm. Yeah. So that's interesting. Um, I, I would, I mean, in terms of like the gun battles when the horde was coming at them, that could be pretty dope. Mm. Especially later on when Susanna gets a particular weapon. <laughs> so I get to see it just like, be cool. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So Craig says it doesn't happen often that we get to see the content deal with a malicious spirit. So having them appear at the overlook during the shining could be cool. Ooh, that's interesting. Right? That would be dope. Like him, I mean, like I can just see them like fighting their way down to the boiler room. <laughs> and like that giant because I mean remember there's like that giant bat demon that comes out of the boiler. Like it's very oh, yeah, similar yeah. to the one that was in the speaking ring. Susan could get revenge. <laughs> <laughs> she, uh he says also the true knot and Dr. Sleep. Have you read Dr. Sleep? I haven't read Okay, Dr. so that's Sleep. the sequel where Danny's older and there's energy vampires that, that feed off the shine of children. Mm. And it all ends up back at the Overlook, of course. So having to deal with the True Knot and Dr. Sleep could be cool. Seeing them deal with all those different psychic abilities would be interesting. Lastly, them showing up at the Institute would be a perfect, because fuck those guys. Have you read that? That's the latest book. Have you read it? No, oh, I guess no not the I'm latest. sorry. It's fine. So Tim suggested Castle Rock during Needful Things. Roland mm. versus Leland Gaunt would be a, a sight to see. Yeah, that'd be kind of cool. I, I mean, I like the whole Needful Things premise anyway, so it's like, well, it's, yeah. It's yeah, like... one of my favorite, like, all-time visual moments is in, is the part where uh, Leland Gaunt's, like, in his, I guess it's like a Rolls Royce or something, and it reveals itself to be what it truly is. Do you remember this? I, vaguely, it's been quite some time since uh, I... It, I don't know, it was really creepy. It scared the crap out of me when I was a kid. Troy says, damn, Roland versus Pennywise could be all kinds of great. As what? It... I mean, I guess that gives you monsters and like, yeah, I I don't know. I just like, I feel like Roland and the gang would just be like bang, 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 bang. And then that would be it for the giant yeah. spider. Yeah. Get it, it for the giant spider. Ah. I mean, it's funny that you say that. I mean, foreknowledge. Yeah. yeah. Sorry. Because there's also like that other sort of similar situation mm -hmm. that occurs. Yeah. And he, he thinks it'd be fun to see them gang like uh, team up with the Losers Club. I'm just like picturing Richie <laughs> like Richie and Eddie would be a hilarious combination. Just mad shit talking to the extreme. So Troy also suggested the quartet in Jerusalem's lot going up against Barlow in the 1860s would be cool. Mm. Yeah. I would be into that. I would watch that. I mean, yes, it may has, have impact in the future, uh, but still, that would be good. <laughs> awesome. So those are really fun answers, I think. I kind of, like, after you went through all of those, I was kind of thinking of that short story uh, Stephen King wrote about where the cars come to life. 
Oh, oh, oh. Um, the one is that they it made. Full throttle or no, maximum, maximum overdrive? Maximum overdrive. I, that movie is like, if I felt guilty about it, is the epitome of guilty pleasure. Well, and so, like, it, you could kind of encompass like three or four of the things that people are asking for in that because you got like basically ghosts inhabiting machines. Yeah. And then you have like sort of a uh, a battle royale going on and like that would work perfectly in a dystopian future or even a stand area where like everybody's dead and the ghosts inhabit the cars mm-hmm. and then the gang has to battle the cars which also have a hive mind mm-hmm. i'm just saying like at first you're like oh that sounds absurd but then they just literally beat a train train yeah so, exactly so why not like comet controlled trucks why not right yep exactly uh, my only requirement is it has to have the stephen king um cameo where where he's offended because the atm has called him an asshole that's one of my favorites <laughs> like this thing just called me an asshole like, oh, stephen king. i know i love it it's one of my favorite parts of that movie uh awesome yes these were great answers thank you everybody that participated it's always so fun like i i thought i knew the answer but then listening to these is always super fun to get a different perspective mm-hmm. so keep uh if you're not already on the facebook group and you are a member of facebook hop on over join us um and i will have a new question for you in a couple of weeks for the next episode all right well i guess that is about it if you are enjoying the show like i said leave us a review on itunes if you want to get in touch Hit us up on the Facebook group or email me at castofcaw at zombiegirls.com. And, uh, yeah, what else? Uh, I guess that's it. So, DJ, where else can people find you on the internet? Uh, well, the uh, Splattercast is back up and going, Woo! so you can definitely check us out on the Splattercast. Um, otherwise, I'm pretty uh, dead to the world on the internet these days. Uh, I I'm just keep dead up with inside. Rachel. <laughs> Yes, uh, you know, oddly enough, for a major content creator, I have dried up during the time when I have the most time to create content. That is kind of ironic, huh? Yeah, I kind of think back. It's like you know, I always squeeze stuff in when I was almost completely short on time, and now that I have plenty of time, I'm like, you know what? I like my free time. I'm gonna use it to not create stuff. I think creative people go in cycles. You know, you're a creative person right now. You're taking some downtime, and then you'll ramp that creativity up again. Just watch. Well, I, I'm building stuff, and uh, I have the Etsy store and so on. So if you want to buy my buy my junk, you know, that that's where you can go. Find me uh, on Muffin Spank on Etsy. <laughs> All right. And if you want to hear more from me, uh, you can find me on the Zombie Girls podcast, where we review horror from a feminist perspective. You can also find me on the Stream Queens, where we review horror films that you can stream on the internet. And uh, you can also find me on More Deadly, which is a podcast where we review horror films. Uh, you see a pattern here? Where we review horror films that are directed specifically by women and last place i am guesting again on the here's johnny podcast so definitely head over check them out if you're a horror fan or a video game fan we're going to be reviewing the evil dead remake which that movie is intense i guess guys uh that's it for this rather crazy slightly long uh episode and we'll be back next week for or in two weeks for more and more coverage of chapter five so stay tuned for that um don't walk with your dogs in the street because you might get run over good night i mean that's good advice but pretty dark bye everybody (laughs) bye